Welcome. This is the Fire This Time podcast. My name is Sonny Therese. Go ahead, Aki. And this is Aki the G over here. And you dealing with Fire This Time. Welcome back. Episode 6. We're coming with the heat again. You know. Always remember to support and share. Instagram. Fire This Time. Pod. You can do look that name up on Instagram and Twitter. Mm-hmm. And look us up on Facebook. Leave some comments and share. Mm-hmm. And uh, today, you know, we're going to have a little discussion. You know, we're going to chit-chat about some things. Specifically, keep some in the light. You know, Breonna Taylor. Um, we got some little, we got a little digging and a little scoop that just came out today on the situation with Breonna Taylor. And I think it's something worth the black community uh, discussing. We also going, you know, at the end of the show, we're going to hit y'all with a little bit of uh, this week's fire, which is a new segment we want to do, you know, trying to highlight some of the positive and more better aspects of our community. Sometimes, you know, we you get a little down. We, you know, we be hitting it hard with, you know, the attack and the oppression that the system is waging against us on a daily basis, especially in this time and era. But sometimes it's good to give a little brighter side to things. Most definitely. And shout out to you, the viewers. That was actually a recommendation from a viewer that uh, actually incorporated a new segment. They actually pitched the name to us, too. So, you know, big shout out to you uh, for for that. So, yeah, this week's uh, fire, uh, this week's fire segment will be uh, over black fatherhood. So, uh, yeah, we got my, my homie Trey uh, talking uh, about that with us. So uh, we're going to save that for later. But, yeah, Aki, uh, we're starting off with what again? What are we doing? We're going to start off with Brianna Taylor um, and the connection to the land grab and gentrification development and policy going on up in uh, Louisville right now. That's a, you know, a heavy uh, subject and a heavy, um, you know, we just read this article and this thing right here is something real serious. Yeah, so, well, we're looking at this, uh, the Courier Journal. It's a newspaper in uh, Louisville. Uh, and an uh, article by Philip Bailey, Tessa Duval, came out 22 hours ago as of uh, today, uh, July 6th. And, uh, yeah, Aki, uh, let me just go on and read the opening, the opening uh, paragraph, if you don't mind. Go ahead. Breonna Taylor's shooting was the result of a Louisville Police Department operation to clear out a block in western Louisville that was part of a major gentrification makeover according to attorneys representing the slain 26-year-old's family. Full stop. What the fuck? Wow. So, obviously, with an opening like that, there's a lot to dig into. And, um... But uh, just to learn that her murder is connected to the uh, gentrification plan supported by, you know, some of the highest officials in the city, it seems like. Aki, what you thinking, bro? Uh, you know what I'm saying? What I'm thinking is that, um, you know, it makes... It don't make sense, but it makes sense when you understand the United States for the colonial power that it is. And the colonial mannerisms and the ways that they operate and function. So, I personally been feeling they've been doing that for a minute. You know, I think we've been doing, I think they've been doing that for a minute to us. And we might even have some instances in the past of that, too. I don't know off the top of my head, but, you know, that's some research for somebody to do. It says uh, right here, second paragraph, it says... 
The lawyers for Taylor's family alleging court documents filed in Jefferson Circuit Court Sunday that a police squad named Place-Based Investigations had deliberately misled narcotics detectives to target the home on Elliott Avenue, leading them to believe they were after some of the city's largest crime and drug rings. So, pretty much, what is what I'm getting from that is that they targeted that neighborhood to clear that neighborhood out and place the false claim that it was plagued with crime, drug sales, and drug rings. Mm, so, yeah, it seemed like the owner of this home, and we're going to get into the, some of that, because Breonna Taylor was connected to the owner of a home that was in the way of one uh, a city and private uh, redevelopment plan. And, um, and we have a police squad here named the Place-Based Investigations that had, it says, deliberately misled narcotics detectives to target this home. So we, we see police squads, you know, acting in service of uh, the land barons, right, of the, uh, of the elite. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, <laughs> and we discussed the context of the police. Landlords in general. Exactly. And uh, they, they're protecting the property of the capitalists, right? So, I mean, we, we, and we've talked about the context of policing in this country, you know, in this way before. So let, let's keep it going, Aki. What else you got here? Uh, to get the little dig a little bit more into it, you know, um, from what it states, it says that the warrants carried out in the narcotics investigation on March 13th were meant to target one of the primary roadblocks to the development. It says, a man named Jamarcus Glover, according to the complaint. Glover rented a home in the 2400 block of Elliott Avenue in Russell neighborhood. The filing alleges placing it squarely in the area of the planned redevelopment. Glover is the ex-boyfriend of Taylor, of Taylor's with whom she maintained a passive friendship, same Aguar, one of the attorneys has previously said. So, the warrant for Brianna Taylor, the warrant, I mean, the, 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 the death of Brianna Taylor came from a warrant that was issued to a black landowner, it seems, Jamarcus Glover. So she was once in a relationship with Jamarcus Glover. From that, police wanted Marcus Glover because Marcus Glover was a roadblock to them in the city getting a hold of that land. So, and it seems like this brother's land was not the same apartment that they killed Breonna Taylor at. How they connected this brother to where Breonna Taylor was staying at was the fact that he was receiving packages at Breonna Taylor's apartment. Right. And the article also talks about that. The article talks about how the police approached UPS trying to see if the packages were suspicious. UPS said no, which also, you know, leads us to question. Why was this uh, no knock search warrant even issued in the first place for the apartment where Breonna Taylor was staying at? I want to know what type of kickbacks like this police squad. What type of hit squad is this, bro? What is are they just clearing away land for the redevelopment for the land barons that they're working for? What type of kickback are they getting for this? I mean, well, funding probably. Yeah, yeah, probably. You know, because you got to think, um, some of the money for the development um, came from Barack, hmm. 
according to this article. Also, some of the money came from the city through raising up from different profiteers and things of that such nature. So, if this was supported by the mayor, you can only expect with the police department's help, they're going to get a large kickback. Not only do you get that, but you get a large new area to police. And you have to have the newest and most advanced cars and access and roller bikes and all that other good shit that you got to have over there in those nice, fancy neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of things that the police can get out of that. Um, Two, where they're gentrifying at on Elliott Street, they just tore down a major project there. And that is also in the west end of Louisville, which is a major sector for the black community in Louisville, which is the west end. So them trying to go into the West End automatically puts them, um, or, or automatically signifies that they're trying to do what we would say in, in colonial terms, uh, a land grab. And of course, every time you see them, you know, uh, kicking so much propaganda about, oh, we're, we're going to have some money for the YMCA and some money for the Urban League and da-da-da-da-da, you know what I'm saying? This is still the, the cover up their capitalist uh uh, greed, their capitalist, uh, you know, involvement into the initiative. Well, just to read another section from this, as I'm going through this, it says the city purchases alleged drug home for one for one dollar. The Jefferson County Pol- Property Value Administrator's website shows after police arrested Glover the second time, the city moved to purchase the property on Elliott Avenue. The property's deed signed June 5th, which would have been Taylor's 27th birthday, would have been Priyana Taylor's 27th birthday, shows that Louisville and Jefferson County Landmark Authority bought the home for $1 in June. The fair market value of the home, however, was $17,160, according to the PVA. In a three-week span earlier this year, eight homes on Elliott Ave. Avenue were demolished by the city's contractor, the complaint alleges. Only nine homes total have been demolished on Elliott Avenue in the past 16 years combined, it says. So, damn, they took down nine homes in just a year when the 16 homes had only been demolished in 16 years. I mean, only nine homes have been de- nine nine homes total have been demolished on Elliott Avenue in 16 years. Anytime a city buys a home for $1. They was planning on getting it already. They did whatever they needed to do to even get that home on the market. And they knew that nobody else was going to try to buy it and they knew they wasn't going to sell it to nobody else. They knew off the rip that they was coming to get it. That's why they bought it for a dollar. So, I mean, this this gets to that term uh, I read on Twitter. Uh, it's called development-driven policing. Meaning policing that's driven by this so-called development uh, industry, Mm -hmm. real estate industry, uh, you know, urban development industry. Right. And and we already know policing follows those trends. You Mm -hmm. know, policing is enforcing now this uh, development agenda of these capitalist, you know, real estate tycoons. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we have to We put it into perspective. Right. Listen to this. Breonna's home. This is a quote from the attorneys. Breonna's home should never have had police there in the first place. The attorneys wrote in the filing. When the layers are peeled back, 
the origin of Briona's home being raided by police starts with the political need to clear out a street for a large real estate development project and finishes with a, a newly formed rogue police unit violating all levels of policy, protocol, and policing standards. Briona's death was the culmination of radical political and police conduct. According to uh, the police department's organization, uh, organization chart, the place-based uh, investigation squad was created to address systemically violent locations mm. and help existing crime deterrence efforts. Welcome to fascism mm. in the 2020s. You know, and of course this existed before, but we know that crime deterrence... Uh, is not you know that's a, a that's an excuse for the colonial power oh and and also inseparable from the new technology of surveillance you know what i'm saying yeah, yeah. Being, being created yeah. so uh you know this is you know fascism for our age i mean you know i, I hate to use all these terms but you know in simple ways it's, it's, it's just like he got a work in history of doing this not to say he or she it the system white supremacy um, the United States government, that cracker, that cracker, has a history of um doing these type of tactics to us, doing these type of tactics to other people. They got a history of this, you know. Um, it was a hit, bro. They put they put a hit. You know what I'm saying? Uh, elimination. They put a hit on one of our people to acquire land that our people was living on. I originally thought that whoever they were looking for, they thought was in the apartment. They didn't even think that. They didn't <laughs> think that. They didn't think that, you know, but they had to make it look, they had to clean it up. You know, uh, they had to make it look that way. So like, uh, they already found all this shit. In the search, according to the court documents, officer wrote that he was seen driving away. SWAT approached the home, and Glover was subsequently subsequently arrested related to a warrant on January third. Look, I want to I, I want to know more about Glover's case. One, just because how's this brother? I mean, this brother might be innocent. Like, let, 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 let's not take anything at face value. You know what I'm saying? Like, as far as what, as far as what they're saying, like oh, even if he has a past record, right? Because, like, okay, if they've been arresting him all year, throughout the year, and he keeps on getting out and getting arrested again, I mm -hmm. mean, something, something ain't sticking. Yeah. When, when they want you to go away, that says something. Yeah. That says something. Because if they want you gone, they're going to get you gone. Unless, unless your shit is, is tight. Yeah. So I, I'm just saying I want to know more about what's going on yeah. with Elliot there. And that's not, the, that's not even, to me, important because you kicked in Brianna, you kicked in Brianna Taylor's door. Exactly, and you 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 shot her. And she ain't had shit to do with none of that. Look. Yeah, I mean, I think the layers that were exposed, and just you know, the the start, you know, I guess bringing this segment to a close, the layers that were expo exposing here, really reveal just the like you said, the colonial nature of this society, how uh, our self determination, our ownership of land, you know, we we don't have no right to that when it gets into the way of a city's plan and they will align any number 
and any degree of force and violence and resources against us to, uh, you know, pursue their plans, pursue their greed, pursue the power that they want. I mean, it, that's, that's why it, you know, it's essential, even in our fight for land and um, communities, that um, you have to have some form of a way to defend your community and protect it from land grabs like this. Gentrification is a land grab and a forced removal of peoples from their homes. That's what it is. You know, they was doing it in colonial times. They was doing it in antebellum stuff. They did it to free black communities here in North Carolina. I mean, here in North America. And, 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 and they're still doing it in the black community today, you know. As we, me and you talk about all the time, Sonny, you see a Starbucks pop up, you know it's coming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, you know it's coming. You see the Starbucks pop up, that's like the that's like the colonial fort, and they coming. You know what I'm saying? Anybody that know me where I stay at, they know that Starbucks just popped up down the street, and we worried. Mm-hmm. God damn it. They coming. <laughs> we worried. You know? And so... You know, it's always wise for us to remember that, yeah, in this struggle for self-determination and, you know, independence and land included in that, you know, at some point. Independence, land, and community, you know. You know, because, you know, a lot of it is about us taking control of the communities that we have in our possession right now, you know, with our populace. Not allowing them to move us out or to ship us around. That puts us in a self, uh, a position where we don't have any self-determination because we can't determine where we live at. And, and, and we're already dealing with the problem of not being able to determine how we live. So, you know, we have to continuously fight against these things. It's just a sad situation that Breonna Taylor, you know, had to be the victim in, a, you know, in, this, in, this, in this war for, you know, expansion of the city. I would say colonial expansion, you know. But uh, it's, uh, it's a sad thing. That makes us, we, we should be fighting even more for Breonna Taylor, you know. Um, luckily, her lawyers have put this in, you know, in, 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 in the court case. So, you know... Um, as time goes on, I guarantee you probably by sometime by the end of the day, you know, we may hear something about this on the loose, you know, about this. Because to take it there, and that's some shit. They used our they used the brother's past and his history against him. And on some level like, you know, Damn, just going to him and buying a house from him. This nigga, what, he, did this nigga sell some dope? Did he hustling or something? He got a past hustling? And who knows about any of that stuff? You who know, knows? You, you know what I'm saying? They use stuff. anything. You know what I'm saying? He could have did that back in the day and been reformed. And wasn't even on that. Had a job, probably had his own little business and some shit like that. We don't know. The Keeping It Real redevelopment program was began to get niggas like that out of them houses. Yeah. That that's why yeah. it was created. Yeah, it was created to convince the public that these forces, you know, what I'm saying, are necessary to align. You know, what I'm saying to have this will carried out, and it's a colonial will, it's a white supremacist will, 
and it's a capitalist will, and uh, we have to defend ourselves against it. At all times. At all times, by any means. Yes, sir. Necessary. Right. So uh, we're going to end this segment right here, but we're going to be back um, with our uh, first This Week's Fire segment, as well as we might mix something else up in there. Uh, We'll see what's up. So uh, stay tuned. Peace. Peace. What up, y'all? We back up in this thing. Fire This Time Podcast, episode six. So right now, we're going to pivot the conversation. Uh, we're going to talk about lynching, the scourge of lynching that has arose once again in our land. Uh, the lynch mobs ride again, Aki. The lynch mobs is riding again, you know what I'm saying? Nothing changes under the sun. And of course, he's still at it again doing what he do. Always and always and on time. Never stop his attack. He never does that. It's wild. So yeah, we're we're seeing white people across the nation really, you know, showing themselves to be traditional in the most violent sense, in the most violent white sense. And um, you know, so I mean, we we've seen you know multiple lynchings in California. Of course, I I, I think immediately as well about the lynching of Donye Jones in Ferguson, Missouri. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, now we have an attempted lynching caught on video. Um, a brother named Vox uh, Brooks. I'm sorry, Vox. Vox Booker. Vox Booker. Rush Booker. Right, and this brother was uh, in uh, Bloomington, Indiana, and uh, was with some white friends of what he thought was public land. Or what actually what was public land, my apologies. And um, you know, uh some crackers was there yelling white power, uh telling him to get off the land. I guess this brother was one of the few, uh, if not the only brother out there. Brother out there. And uh actually on the video, I think after the attempted lynching, you have one of the one of the lynch mobs saying to the brother, mm-hmm. Why are you out here with four white people? <laughs> I can't, you're not supposed uh, to laugh. You're not supposed to laugh. Oh, wow. Well, I, 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 I asked the same question, too. But, you know, hey, you know, people do what they do. People so, do what they do. So, Vox, a book, uh, Vox Booker uh, was, you know, then followed by this mob, uh, assaulted, um, I, almost tied to a tree. They called for the noose. There was assaulting calling to wow. break, break his arms. Mm. So, you know, what happened to this brother was really tragic. And, um, Terrible. And it really was triggering for me, you know, just watching it on film. It was something I felt like I needed to watch, you know what I'm saying? Just be, just to, the, you know, to help me recognize, you know, even more so what kind of moment we in. And what animal you dealing with. Because, you know, we, we are in a different moment. I mean, th- these are people with cameras on them, cameras on them calling for... Uh, nooses, you know, mm-hmm. cameras on them calling for. Not can, man. Wow, so, that's so, crazy. Yeah, Vox Booker got out that jam. Thank God. Thank God. And uh, lived to tell his story. Thank God. Your ass shouldn't have been in the jam from the jump. What you doing out there with four white folks in the damn woods? That can't happen again. We, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we we can't protect you. You know what I'm saying? There ain't, there ain't no chance for protection. You know what I'm saying? Hey, that that white allyship. Uh, you got lucky this time. Brother got lucky this time. The white bro. dude told her. That's what the white dude told her. The white dude was, you out here in the woods with four white people. 
and and the white people were just standing there. We're not leaving until he comes with us. Then what? Now what if they if they pulled out our gun and said, "Bow, bow, get the fuck out of here." Mm-hmm. What they gonna do? You remember you women with Malcolm X said he said I mean Martin, I mean Muhammad Ali said he said shoot if the snakes is coming and it's ten thousand snakes and and ten of the snakes out of there stand up for me I'm not gonna trust them they gonna ride with the rest of the snakes they if they're not they gonna overpower their ass no mm-hmm. you ain't got no business out there in Bloomington Indiana I'm sorry Aki I know that's his home state hey no 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 that's not my home state. We don't know what that is. Let's just say this. Bloomington, Indiana sound like some other shit. It sound like some sundown town shit. You know. I don't just, claim Bloomington, nigga. We Southern Indiana. That's a whole different thing. That's a whole different thing, dog. It's a whole different thing, whole okay, different then. thing. Okay, then. Okay, then. Evansville, yeah. Shout but, out Evansville. Yeah. But, man, you know, we got to be watchful and vigilant on this type of stuff right here because as the European white man in this country feel in his mind that his power is shrinking especially with those so-called working class working class and poor white folks they starting to see their privilege starting to shrink they're not getting it no more they getting a little confused and a little upset and so what happens is is now they try to backlash out on the only thing that they think got power is so they say well I may be poor and I may be struggling but at least I ain't a nigga and it seems to me that some of what they doing I mean, it, it seems that there's been a call out of of a, of a sense, you know what I'm saying, amongst these white nationalists, maybe through their media mm-hmm. or through just their social socialization in this type of crisis moment this country is arriving into. I mean, we're going into a recession. We're we're probably headed to into a depression. Yeah. Uh, economic depression. You know, mm-hmm. we don't know how long it's going to last. We don't know what type of changes. We don't know how we're going to get out this motherfucker. I mean, we we headed yeah. to that. Yeah. Yeah, they not... The, I mean, you got to remember, the only thing that they had going for them was the promise of whiteness. So, yeah, you yeah. So, it, it, it seems like they're, they're coming to a moment where, where their backlash is looking like that type of violence. You know what I'm saying? They yeah. feel like they do have to respond. Like, we have to keep these niggas in check. I'm losing. They, they not... They, they, go ahead. I'm sorry, Keith. Yeah, we got to keep these niggas in check. Like uh, like you said, we're losing control. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? To regain control, we got to uh, put this community, you know what I'm saying, j- just just to prop up our own sense of self. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? and uh, But also to strike fear. There's also that economic element, and there's also, you know, ele- elements at play. The backlash is coming at us when reality is it's they system and they own cohort you know they own kind that's really fucking them over in this uh capitalist economic system that we live in you know but because either they don't have the balls to rebel against them which I won't say that because they did it before or they don't pay attention, they looking at us like we the cause of it. And then and, and the Mexican and them, like like we the cause of it. And so they saying, well, they fighting for their rights and y'all just giving them rights and stuff and we losing our power. And this used to be a white man's country and all that other bullshit-ass rhetoric that they be having. And it's like, yeah, you know, face it. You know, say you, you, your forefathers chose to make America a melting pot. That was in y'all manifest destiny type shit, you know. And now that you outnumbered and you ain't running shit, you 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 getting you know you feeling a certain way. So um, you know, we just got to be watchful of them. 
One thing, you can't be walking around in no damn woods in the country with four white people and not be on point and on guard. Facts. I ain't telling you you don't go, but damn it, you need to have a blade on you or something. You know, you need to have a, a, a we need to have a, a, a Negro GPS or something. You can't just be walking around like that. Now, in this te- in this era and time, I with all the shit popping off, I keep. I wouldn't recommend it. With all this popping off, I wouldn't recommend but, it. I mean, you know, you know, we gotta we gotta be more vigilant. We gotta be watching out for this shit. But the real thing is this though: this shit's still going on. It's still going on. And so when they, it'd be funny because sometimes my generation they say like, you know, oh well that shit happened a long time ago. And now you seeing niggas get hung in your own lifetime. All right, y'all. Now, if we move from Bloomington, Indiana, to uh, New York, we have another case. Uh, A death of a black man found hanging in a Manhattan park was actually ruled a suicide uh, late in June. His name is Dominique Alexander, 27. His family devastated by the loss, can't understand it. And the city police investigators have ruled it a suicide, not a Mm. murder. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, like we said, this happened on around 6 a.m. on June 9th. Um, and it was, uh, looks like June 17th or 16th, June 16th, when it was ruled a suicide. So not, not late June. But, um, yeah, we're seeing, uh, this is, uh, I'm reading an article from the New York Post. It's talking about Dominique's death comes as similar reports about black people dying from hangings. And suspicion over the circumstances spike across the nation. The hanging deaths of two black men in Southern California and nationwide Black Lives Matter protests and demonstrations for black rights have sparked federal probes, the outlet reported. Robert Fuller, 24, was found hanging in a park near Palmdale City Hall early on June 10th, and the death was originally ruled as an apparent suicide. Mm. On Monday, uh, the sheriff there said that they're going to probe it as a homicide. Uh, a week earlier, about 50 miles away from San Bernardino County, Malcolm Harsh, who was, who was uh, 38, was found hanging near the Victorville City Library. Police originally said foul play was not suspected, but the man's family is not so sure. They said in a statement, people at the scene saw blood on Harsh's shirt. He didn't appear depressed, and he had recent talks with his kids about seeing them soon. Um, the article ends by saying the explanation of suicide does not seem plausible. The family statement said there are many ways to die, but considering the current racial tension, a black man hanging himself from a tree definitely doesn't sit well with us right now. We want justice, not comfortable excuses. True. true, So, Aki, what what you thinking? Go on and react. Uh, It's real simple. The white man got to work in history. We got to work in history with the white man that lets us know that he do shit like this. And in recent times with all of these recent hangings, that shit ain't all coincidence. So we got to be on the aware, you know. We never know who's coming. We never know um, the same way they look at us and say we all look alike. At the end of the day, some of them all look alike. And so... You don't you don't know who's who. That same person that may have a suit on that came into your office may be the person that was sent to take you out the game and snatch you up. Then too, 
It's just like in, you know, in the streets in Cali. They used to make you go put in work to prove yourself to be down with the hood. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of these white supremacist, white power groups, that's what they do. You know what I'm saying? You say you're about this life, you got to go snatch up a nigga and hang him. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, we got to be watchful and mindful of that. You know, um, you know, especially in this current time with all the tensions going on and black people making higher and higher demands, especially as those demands get more concrete and focused. Oh, they're going to be, you know, because we ain't even really started screaming that reparations hard. Mm hmm. You know, and and, and, and and looking at this, I can't help but think about the work of Ida B. Wells and her, mm-hmm. you know, being kind of the, the the generator of a lot of the uh a lot of our understanding even now on lynching and the cause of lynching with some of her early reporting and investigations in the lynchings. Mm-hmm. You know, if we know about Ida B. Wells, we know that she started her work, you know, off the lynching of some of her friends in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was, uh, you know, off of some of her friends where some of her ideas about why people were being targeted for lynching started to change. Where some, you know, before that, you know, she was more apt to, you know, kind of buy into the mainstream narratives. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was, you know, Ida B. Wells getting they challenged. They did something wrong and, and something like that. The reality was is that, that that her friend was a prominent business owner. Right, and store owner, yeah. Yeah, store owner and competing with white businesses around him. And those other businesses didn't like that. Right. And because he was a, because in their eyes he was a nigga, he dispensable. And they had probably the state and the town officials in on it. They was probably in the Klan rally that went and did that. And they definitely want to make an example, too. Like, nah, we don't want to see this type of upstart, this type of uppitiness from y'all again, neither. There you go. You know? So, um, tactics to discourage, self-development, I mean, self-determination, self-determinative movements and actions. That's it. It's not going to scare us today. No, 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 no. No, no, no. It's going to scare us today. It's going to make us angry. It's going to make us even more, push yeah. us to get organized more. I think this, you know, this type of stuff that they, you know what I'm saying, like, right, rightfully so, it's going to backfire on them, as yeah. it should, you know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. it, and uh, the fact that it's coming to this, it, of course, it lays beyond our control. But how we respond to it is mm-hmm. within our control. Yeah. And we have, to, uh, we have to respond to these type of rise in attacks across the nation with organization. Yeah. We got to. On all levels. On all levels. You know what I'm saying? Whether this is vigilantes, you know what I'm saying? Attacking our people just off of, uh, you know, just racist, you know, aggression. Or if this is more deliberate and more, uh, you know, uh, consciously in pursuit of, you know, whether a land grab with the Breonna Taylor situation. Or just, uh, you know, police carrying out their own vendettas more from, you know, violence from more legitimate sources, not just yeah. vigilantes, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, organization is how we, you know, combat this, you know, political education of what's going on. But also, you know, uh, self-determination, how we protect ourselves. Mm-hmm. Not waiting on people to give us a grant to protect ourselves. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But organizing our people and, and seeing what expertise is in our community right now. 
to protect ourselves. Yeah. So actually, yeah, Aki, let's actually uh, bring up some of that. So thinking about protection, I mean, we talked about plenty of times solutions to some of the violence that we receive is self-defense, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, showing up and showing out for our people in the sense of, you know, we're going to, like, in the, in the style and tradition of, like, a Robert F. Williams, right? Mm-hmm. So we have something over the weekend, over this past weekend, right? Yeah. Let's talk about what went down, what we, some of what we seen down there in Stone uh, Mountain, Stone Mountain, Georgia. So uh, the, it was the uh, Not Fucking Around Coalition. <laughs> not. Right. So uh, we watched some of uh, you know their march and some of their action together. They look so, beautiful. So yeah, go go and give the people a rundown what you seen, what you thought, Aki. Uh, they looked beautiful. They, 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 they was suited and booted with their heat. Looked like soldiers. It was probably had to be about at least a thousand of them, you know, out there. Um, you know, and them brothers ain't playing. They sound like they ain't playing. I hadn't seen no formations like that. What type of straps you seen, bro? Was it just pistols? People out there? No, they no. Had? They had choppers out there. It was choppers out there, gauges. They had pistols, but they was on their hips. <laughs> but while they was holding an assault rifle in their hand. Mm-hmm. And they let it be known. Sad, they let it be known we want all the smoke. And they also let it be known that this is all legal what they was doing. You exactly, know what I'm they so. did it within the legal bounds, so that they couldn't even touch him. That that was a good thing. Exactly, they couldn't touch him because they was our, you know, that's how you do it. You oh know? yeah, personally and even organizationally, we're committed. I know both of us are to, uh, you know, seeking out, you know, our protection through legal means. You know, yeah. get, getting caught up in the legal system at this point in time ain't what's up. Yeah, and but, they so, give you five years for a pistol, and depending on the pistol or the gun. They may give you assault with a man, a weapon of mass destruction, and then they start throwing time on that by the bullet. Right. So we don't. So public demonstrations in states where you know you can't openly carry, that's of course out the window. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So uh, yeah, I, all this to really say, you know, now's the time to invest in getting your legal right to carry and own a firearm together for you and your family and your collective, your network, your friend group. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, especially if you can carry it out. Right, we're looking. You know, we're looking at what's coming, and it looks like it's going to be a time of crisis. You know, you a know. period of economic depression, and uh, we're seeing just some, some. You know, we're we're seeing some glimpses of what violence. You know, in this time is going to look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't see it getting better soon. I see it getting worse soon. Mm-hmm. You know, just if I if I had to think of, and definitely that's how we should at least depart, depart from how we think. Prepare for the prepare. You know, prepare for the worst. Hope for the best. Exactly. We got to prepare for the worst. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? We got to prepare for like this is gonna get worse. Cause um, you don't know out here. We can't be preparing just for a better seat at this table. Mm-hmm. You know, especially with all this going on. If if that's all the leaders is pushing, then we know that uh, you know. What they're seeking is not what our people should seek and can seek and are seeking, mm-hmm. to say the least. <laughs> but uh, but you know, back to the not fucking around coalition. Uh, you know, can't underscore enough just how uh, the reception to the action in Stone Mountain. 
Mm-hmm. Was posted a lot. Was, posted a lot. Right. Was received on black social media, black Twitter and whatnot. Well, very well received and well shared. A lot of comments from a lot of people, you know what I'm saying, in support of a legal action of armed people against, you know, mm. um, white supremacy and, and the system that be. And it's also interesting that this group is very loud and proud in the sense that what they said about Black Lives Matter? Fuck Black Lives Matter. They said, we don't fuck with Black Lives Matter. Chanting it, you know, a thousand deep armed black folk chanting black power and that they don't fuck with Black Lives Matter. Walking down the street with their guns. So this is a split that's increasingly impossible to ignore within black politics um and uh, it gotta be reckoned with and what i'm starting to see increasingly is the streets the working class black community the grassroots mm-hmm. is moving away from the direction of this elitist negotiator like blm type of activist sphere well my man say we ain't singing no more that's what he said he said we ain't singing no more and to be honest with you, you need that alternative because that was the alternative we got when we had Malcolm and Martin. Mm-hmm. You know, we had an alternative, um, and specifically more years after Malcolm passed, mm-hmm. you know, when the Panthers and all of those other military formations, paramilitary revolutionary formations came about, you know, it was like always, all right, now you can, you can, because... You can you can take you can hear what uh, Martin is saying, or you are gonna have to go deal with these boys that's talking that Malcolm shit. Mm-hmm. So it, it looks like you know that this group is positioned to grow larger. You know what oh, I'm saying? Oh yeah. So um, I'm gonna try to stay you know aware of, of, of what's going down. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And uh, just try to uh, keep track and see how the organization develops. I, I wonder what the organizational structure is like. You know what I'm saying? And with the leadership and how, um, you know, hierarchy is managed and something that's, you know, yeah. that, that that's pretty, uh, you know, um, explicitly uh, militant, you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. and armed. So, uh, you know, this is, you and know. ready if, for all the smoke. If this turns into something, a more popular type of movement, a more popular type of organizing. Uh, you know, in the South or across the nation, you know, something that we need to be aware of, not just the liberal reformism or electoral strategies or, you know, pushing to defund the police. But what about the, um, you know, like we always talk about, but the the groups that are, you know, seeking to supply the needs of protection for our people without any uh, need for legitimization from white supremacy, from the dominant institutional society. They're not waiting you know what I'm saying, for any okay from the dominant society to do what needs to be done. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I definitely want to remind us that we should be critical, you know, even in, in our support. You know, so, uh, you know, it's always good to just stay critical in a loving way. So, uh, hey, it's like this. Um, you know, we, we live in a time and era where shit is popping off, things are getting serious, White people are getting edgy, and black people are getting edgy. You know, um, self-defense is essential to our survival. And I, I guess also in trying to analyze, you know, what they was doing, I got to be, you know, honest. You know, that's not nothing I'm on right now. So how much can I really speak on it? You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, as like, uh, I'm not looking to get in the streets with a rifle or, or try to go to an officer's home and confront uh, a killer officer with a rifle. Yeah. I don't feel uh, 
prepared to do that mm-hmm. or uh you know i don't know if that's even my role in the movement you know what i'm yeah. saying uh so i guess i'm still trying to work out as far as you know what type of uh you know uh place i even have in critiquing it or common you know as we arrive in a new age you know i mean i say this as a, as 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 a new african we support all freedom fighters there you go you know um so even if we in total agreement with them or not they fighting for freedom and if we respect those who are trying to protect and defend the the human rights and even the civil rights of their people. Mm-hmm. Said and done. So, I hope for the empowerment and growth of all, you know, black gun clubs, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, that are operating on a legal basis, trying to prepare our people for what's to come. Um, because that's needed. That's needed. Most definitely. So, um, our next segment, you know, let's keep on talking about black uh, this, you know, aspect of it's not just black masculinity. Of course, there was the sisters out there with the not fucking around coalition. You know what I'm saying? But um, we know that there is a sense of protection of community that's inseparable from black masculinity. And also uh, something close in proximity to that whole conversation is black fatherhood. You know what I'm saying? Which uh, definitely is is central to, you know, uh, the tradition of black masculinity, as we can imagine. So this next segment, as we kind of hinted at before, this will be our first uh, This Week's Fire segment where we try to celebrate uh, something positive in the community. So this time we're going to celebrate black fatherhood. We're going to do that by inviting on uh, my brother Trey. Big Trey. Yeah, YAN Trey, uh, Push Soul artist, uh, you know, also student athlete, and also uh, probably most importantly, a black father. Yeah. So uh, he'll be talking about his experiences as a father, and um, he'll also be talking about some of the challenges of being a father. But, um, yeah, we hope this, this this next clip, you know, raises up, celebrates, you know, and uh, just raises awareness about black fatherhood. And we hope you enjoy this first segment of uh, this week's Fire. We're going to kick it off with a clip from uh, Will and Jada talking about black fatherhood. Peace. Peace. How do you think we can help fathers feel better about their fathering? I think there are a couple of cultural roadblocks to fathering. Mm. In the black community Mm -hmm. specifically, fathering has been somewhat uh, assaulted and there have been historical and systemic hurdles to uh, African American fatherhood, yeah, and attempts to dismantle it mm, uh, yeah. systemically. Yeah, it's a touchy area to talk about, and I'm not relinquishing the responsibility. Let me say first and foremost: if you have kids, take care of your kids, do whatever you have to do as a man to father your children. Right. Now, with that said, there's a necessity that mothers make room for fathers. Mothers have the kids. They're yours. (laughs) They're yours. It's it's hard. I can't get them from you. You know. You own that. Okay, you 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 own them. Those are your kids. They came from your body. They're yours. Right. I can't father if you don't make room for me and you don't support me. 
That's true. And you have to make room for me in my imperfections. You can't say you're gonna make room for me if I get perfect, because I'm not perfect and I'm not gonna get perfect. And never will be, that's right. right. And I've had both situations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it feels very true for me that motherhood is the doorway to successful fatherhood. That's important. There has to be a partnership. Yeah. The mother has to value fatherhood. Yeah. What up, what up, what up? We back at it. This is Sonny Ture. And I Katie J. And you just heard Will Smith talking to Jada Pinkett Smith, talk, talking about black fatherhood and family in the black community. And me and Aki, neither one of us is daddies yet. So uh, we had to bring on one of our homies and a black father himself, the homie Trey. Say what up, Trey. What up, what up, what up? So, yeah, me and Trey, we made music together, Push Soul uh, Music Collective. Check us out, pushsoul.com. But anyways, let's, let's just get some uh, initial reactions from Trey real quick. What up, bruh? Just listening to Will Smith and Jada talk, just what's some initial reactions you got from the clip you just heard, bruh? Well, honestly, a lot of what Will Smith said was true, you know, and I understand what he, what he meant, but it kind of seemed like he was basically saying the child is more for the mom just because the mom had the child being a black father you know not with my baby mom you know respect her though love her she know it but that that's that's not true at all and, and also with him saying um you know to be a great a great dad you gotta have it like the mom can allow that that's not true as, as well because it's some moms that's not there for their kids and it's fathers that stepped in and the mom and the dad you know what I'm saying so looking at it both ways it seemed like the the kids and parents he was talking about is not black fathers you know what I'm saying so it, it's more of <laughs> wealthy people mm -hmm. that's that's what he was talking about you know and my baby mama know I, I, mean, I am very important to Kenzie just as much as she is. No matter if we go through anything, she know my daughter has to see her dad. My daughter wants to see her dad. That's how she feel. And I, I agree with what he said, but just that last part with, you know, the mom have to like you or have to feel like you as a good father for you to be around, I don't agree with that. Yeah, she was coming. Uh, he was coming on strong with the idea that you know the kids are yours. That's what Will Smith told Jada. The mm -hmm. kids are yours, you know. So yeah, I definitely feel what you're saying, Trey. Like maybe that's uh, you know taking a little bit too far, Will. <laughs> a little bit too far, Will. I keep going to respond, bro. Uh, I was I was I, I asked you this question, Trey. You know, how do you how do you think, or how what's the importance of uh? fathers to the black family you know in your in your opinion like what do a father add to the family to the child to the house or whatever it may be the situation stability off rip okay then you know and even though like, i can bring it back to what what i do with my daughter mm -hmm. even though me and her mom won't get along i would never allow her to raise her voice to me and I won't raise my voice to her in front of my daughter. Mm -hmm. We don't argue in front of my daughter. 
we show love, we show respect. So I feel like a father being that and a daughter or a son seeing that, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a son will want to, you, your your point in doing that is, okay, I want my son to be like this. Yeah, okay. I want my son to see this. I want my daughter to want a man to, you know what I'm saying, be like this. They're going to they gonna know. They're going to feel it, and they're going to know exactly who the, who they're dealing with and also everything. But I get what you said. It's what you said is like they're going to have a model in you. Yeah. So your son is going to have a model on how to be a man, mm-hmm. and your daughter is going to see a model in what to look for in a man. Exactly. Okay. Also, a father, you know, at... You know, having a daughter is different. Yeah. From, you know what I'm saying? So you have to really be calm yeah. with, with things and teach, you know, teach. And you know what I'm saying? Okay, them is a funny story. I see my daughter, um, like, shaking the booty, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, yeah. hey, you three, you know? <laughs> I don't want to see you doing that, you know what I'm saying? She get upset. But then, you know, you got to bring it back down. You got to be like, you know what, baby, listen, that's just not a good thing to do. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So... You breed, I wanted to breed that in her, like, every time she do it or she see somebody do it, she said, yeah, that's nasty. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, I feel like that's what fathers are there for, really. That guidance. Yeah, that guidance. Mm-hmm. You know, um, in this era and time, with, you know, um, black males being under attack um, by the, the power structure, um, I think it's very important for us, you know, to, to, to think about ways that we can cultivate black fatherhood, manhood, masculinity in a healthy way in the community. Uh, so I, my, I'll, I'll ask a question. What are some of the ways, you know, it can, you can answer it, Sonny, you can answer it, Trey. Both of y'all can answer. What's some of the ways that y'all think we can um, alter, you know, or change, make that direction? You know, far as to be able to make those stable fathers, to put those stable fathers. I think one way to start making that change is for black men to start coming together in spaces like this. We Black men got to start getting organized and organizations together that meet regularly where we can build together and organize together and discuss these type of issues together. You know what I'm saying? Like... Uh, like, I find it a great resource in my life to have somebody like Trey I'm so close to where I can see an example of black fatherhood. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, and I witness it on the day-to-day. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's always on the phone interrupting studio sessions, <laughs> talking to Kenzie. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's a that's a constant, you know? And uh, to see that, that relationship, and especially not growing up with that relationship myself. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't have a close relationship with my father like that. Mm-hmm. You know, my mother passed when I was six years old. My, you know, my relationship with my grandparents, it was more so they was instilling hard work in me. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't as much of an emotional relationship. You know what I'm saying? So to, to see them emotional bonds, you know what I'm saying? And I, I see them as really valuable, you know? So, um, yeah, it's a great example I'm seeing. So that we, we, we got to organize and come together. I see Trey all the time in the studio. You know, also with Push Soul, you know what I'm saying? It's uh, all the brothers in the group. We come together once a week in a in, in a group call. You know what I'm saying? Where we talk about these issues. Kevon, my homie Kevon, I know he's tuning in. What up, Key? He's also uh, another example of a great young black father in my life where I'm seeing my generation set that example. You know what I'm saying? So, and we get together, we talk about all type of issues on a weekly basis. 
in addition to, you know, planning and plotting our music shit. You know, so we, we talk about life. We talk about what it's like to be a black man. You know what I'm saying? In, in this society at this time right now. And, and every week they updating us on, on what it's like, you know, raising uh, two daughters, you know. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, Kevon got a daughter. Trey got a daughter. That's why two, the, the two daughters are put so, you know what I'm saying? So just just hearing about that journey, you know, well, it's special. It's special. I say I don't want nobody to feel offended <laughs> what I have to say about this. But I would say um, it's a lot of black women Women in general, not just black women, but majority black women holding some, you know, um, black males back from being fathers. So I see it a lot, you know, and I love my black women. Don't get me wrong. I love I love women. You know, I respect y'all. But, you know, just knowing what I know, seeing what I see and knowing dudes personally that broke down to me before. You know what I'm saying? It's telling me how lucky I am to see my daughter, you know, so I know things that that's under the rug so a lot of black women if you bitter you know just move on it, it's not about it's not about you it's not about the male it's about the that child and that child knowing who the father is and who who the mother is and having that same bond your child how with you to have with the father so that's that's i feel like that's important in in our in in a black community yeah. because they help they help them yeah put us in jail they help them mm-hmm. target us they help them do that you know so it's that betterness and you know what it's crazy that you mention that because i can honestly say just in the black family in general um in the relationships between black males and black women i've seen that be a constant theme on both sides too um it manifests in different ways. But I've seen exactly what you're speaking of. Um, I got siblings. I got friends. Um, sometimes I think, you know, and that's something that we got to figure out because this, the, the, the black fatherhood, the black motherhood, the black family, there's a lot of things that go into us healing that process. You know, changing, uh, changing changing the social norms a lot of that's based in the conditions that we live too right and, and that's what will smith kind of lost me in early on of what he said he lost me momentarily when he said there are cultural obstacles to fatherhood and i feel like of course there are cultural obstacles but i feel like we first got to name the real oppressor in the situation the, mm-hmm. the first thing first and foremost we got to name is that white supremacist capitalist patriarchal type of oppression that we're inflicted with that, that's that's seeking us out specifically because we're black men and targeting us uh, to strip us from the ability to uh, form strong black families. Well, the you know attack on that, black males prevent the black the black the attack on the black male prevents the black father. Mm-hmm. It eliminates it from the jump. Right. He'll never be able to step into that in his fullest capacity. He can mm-hmm. overcoming obstacles. He can. Mm-hmm. But they make it so whereas you have so many difficulties to get from a young black male to fatherhood. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I think that uh, just bringing it back to what Will was talking about, 
You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, at the end of his comment, he kind of mentioned how black women got to make room for black men to be fathers. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there has to be a higher count, a call to accountability. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, like there, there is some deliberate maliciousness that I hear black men testify, you know, give testimony to mm -hmm. as far as what they're receiving from some of the women in their lives, sometimes the baby mothers in their lives. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, we have to we have to reckon with the fact that black women are just as capable of internalizing anti-black misandrous values as black men are in internalizing anti-black misogynist values. You know what I'm saying? And that's happening as a parallel process in our communities. Yeah. And, um, you know, that affects... Uh, the black family that affects how black women um, see black men and see the role of uh, mm -hmm. a black man within families and we have to take seriously the propaganda against the black family and the black male role within the family mm -hmm. uh, you know white society white culture even white intellectual society is trying to uh, you know come up with all type of word salads yeah. You know what I'm saying? To try to explain to our people, especially sometimes in these colonial gender women's studies classrooms, mm -hmm. why a black male in a classroom isn't necessary for the advancement of the black community. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? There, there's so many different malicious ways where they try to marginal, marginalize and devalue and dehumanize black mm -hmm. men. And we know just how much our identity and our black masculinity is based in our commitment to our community and our role within our community. Yes. I think we got to make note of the history um, and the attack or the historical attack on um, black males from the white supremacist system. Um, and, from the kind, and from the white supremacist patriarchal system. You know. At the colonial name. Yeah, the colonial patriarchal system of white supremacy. And um, we have to remember that they th their culture was patriarchal when we encountered them. When they encountered us. And, and, th and their patriarchy isn't seeking allyship with black men yeah. to oppress all women. That's not what white patriarchy is. Uh, the, see, the, the, the thing is, is that that's what makes us the focus of his attack there you go is that he's patriarchal in his society men are the, the top notch in his culture at that time and even to some extent now that's what European nations had centered um it, it, they, they were Christian nations too that, that had patriarchy sliding through it a little bit too you know um, so when a patriarchal culture encounters another people, they don't interpretate those people through objective eyes. They interpretate those people through subjective eyes. So they look at them like they patriarchal. So they say, well, we want to take what's theirs. Who's the biggest threat of resistance to them? Well, if somebody wanted to come take my land, I would be the greatest resistance to him. I would take my women and put them in the house. That's that's how the European is thinking in his mind. So what am I going to do? I'm going to go at their males. Mm -hmm. And that's been a consistent attack because in their culture, in the evolution of their culture, they still feel that you are the threat. Mm -hmm. 
as a black male, you are the threat. If I want to keep or uh, or keep the power that I have um, uh, through the repression of these people, I have to target who I perceive as the most powerful th- threat to me, and that's the males. And, of course, the white patriarch is going to see another, yeah, like you said, another yeah, man. That's another their man. view right. on us. Now, we, don't, we, don't, we might not necessarily see it that way. Right. Um, we technically live in matriarchal type of societies, even in America. Our families are generally ran by women. Mm-hmm. You know, you got your big mamas. The clans are kept together through the women. You usually associate with the mother side of the family. But the family, it, 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 we, this, it's written work on that already. That's not something we got to argue. But the attack on us has been patriarchal. And that's been a consistent attack. So just like now, we come into today's era and time now, right? The, 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 the attack on the male through the state that we call police brutality is directed at males, the, the the prison systems that's filled over capacity is filled with black males. So we them just two big examples. We can go further on to health and all of those other things. The focus of his attack or her attack or its attack on the black community has been the black males because through his lens he sees black males as the biggest threat. Trey, are there any like uh, I guess stories just from your experience, your experience as a black father, maybe interacting with white institutions? You know what I'm saying, or just you know, what are some situations where your black fatherhood was devalued? I guess you know what I'm saying that 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 you remember. Are, are there any situations like that? Uh, so this one situation I had to deal with. No, I'm all the way in Champaign. Uh, my daughter's in Chicago with her mom, you know, that's where they stayed at. So the, my, my baby mom called me and was like, you know, I keep telling these people to um, watch Kenzie's face because I guess she was kind of sitting nose around a little bit. So she said, I keep telling her to watch Kenzie's face. And every time I go pick her up, it's so much, like, dried up stuff around her nose, right? So I'm like, all right, I'm, like, I'm going to give him a call tomorrow and see what's going on. So I called him. I'm like, hey, you know, um, you know, my, my baby mama telling me that my daughter, you no know, nose running, and every time she come pick up, it's, it's not on her nose or it's dried up snot, like, all over her face. And, like, every other kid in there is clean. So, like, why is my daughter walking around like that? So I, I kind of feel some type of way. So she was like, oh, no, it's all right. <laughs> and, bro, I, I lost my mind. I lost my mind because they changed my daughter's um, picture on her, uh, like, little app. Like, a little app you can see, they changed her picture to a picture of her with snot, dried up snot, uh, on the fucking wallpaper. I'm sorry for cousin, but on the wallpaper. On the wallpaper, they like snot all over her face, so, bro. After so, I just talked to them, you know so, what I'm saying. So, so they let her go. They did. They, they put the picture up with her with the snot mustache. Y- yes, man. That's bogus. They gonna they don't catch us on days like that. Dude. You know what I'm saying? I'm about to ride up to Chicago. Like <laughs> I don't care about practice at six in the morning. I don't care about meetings. I don't care about nothing right now. You know what I'm saying? I let my coaches know. No, look, I'm finna go. You know what I'm saying? So I get up there. You know, and things get situated, but. That was just a little 
moment where I was like, hey, these institutions, you know what I'm saying? She coming here, keep her clean. Like, if she got a runny nose, you see this. If everybody can see it, if I can see it, you can see it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I know that's kind of aggravating to my daughter. It's all on her nose. She don't, she, you know what I'm saying? So I'm like, man, nah, I don't, I don't dig that. So, it's long story short, my mom is finna open up a, um, <laughs> a, a babysitting, you know, little area for kids. You know what I'm saying? So, and you know the crazy thing about that, if it's luckily you lucky that that even went down in the manner it did, because if those white folks would immediately felt threatened, that could have been a jail night. They'd called the police up there and they would have came. But that's what it is, too. Sometimes even in these institutions, and my mother, who's a school teacher, has told me that. Mm-hmm. That it's a difference when a, when a father and a mother comes to a student council meeting, I mean a student counselor meeting, or a father come versus if a mother comes. Mm-hmm. And she said, I never could figure out why, but it was because... When the daddy comes in there, and especially if he comes in there with the mother, they know generally you ain't going for no bullshit. That's your baby. You know, it's like it's like when you go to a mechanic. Some dudes, you know, they did. I know a lot of ladies who who speak of when they go to mechanics. Mechanics try to get over on them. Because they're ladies and they don't think they know nothing about no cars. So they'll take a guy with them because the the, the, the person is less apt to try to get over on a male or, or the man who has knowledge of a car and ain't going to let you just get over with that like that. You know what I'm saying? It's something about that presence there that is a securing, stable, balanced force where other people, when they interact with them, they even have to sort of uh, get in line with that dual power. Get in line with that. You know what I'm saying? It's a presence that that black fathers not only have in going to student counselor meetings, going to school to see about what they're doing to your baby. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, uh, I think what you're saying is right. I think white society, capitalist society benefits from the hyper fragmentation of our families, Mm -hmm. the smaller and smaller groupings of our families, because the smaller and smaller, more siloed individualistic families, um, the less social and communal ties exist that can be leveraged for really radical revolutionary means. Mm -hmm. Family ties also are leveraged not just for uh, political purposes, but also just from for protection from the ills of this society. You know what I'm saying? And that actually gives you space, you know what I'm saying, to uh, resist and, 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 and do that. But, I mean, uh, you know, so white society definitely has this, 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 this plan in motion to, you know, make our family smaller and smaller. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, they want it where it's just the woman and the child. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Uh, in the black household. And, uh, you know, that type of hyper-fragmentation benefits white society. You know, uh, it's I, I just think in this era and time, we have to question, as a as me being a member of, I, I'll say, the black male uh, species, 
African-American species, <laughs> breed, whatever you want to call it, right? Me being from that, uh, being from that stock, um, we as a, as a group have to come together and formulate these ideas. Um, we have to, we have to decide that we need to form actually brotherhoods again. And we got to be unapologetic in doing it, right? We got to be unapologetic in doing it. A lot of people is not going to like a black male focused organization. A lot of people is not going to like a black male or black masculine focused uh, podcast. You know, that a lot of people are going to uh, reject that. But, you know, we got to be kind of uh, fearless in, uh, in, you know, in embracing that type of stuff. You know? Yeah. How about uh, we go ahead and uh, bring this segment to a close? Are, are there any type of uh, closing, I guess, comments about uh, anything Will or Jada might have said or just anything on, on, on black fatherhood uh, in general while we got Trey here with us? Um, you know, I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, giving your comments and your responses and your opinions and your real life experiences with black fatherhood. And you you may how old is your baby? My baby, she three. Three, she three years old. She okay then. Okay then. So you in the early stages. Oh yeah, I'm still there. Well, I don't know how you. Well, you got a little girl, man. I be trying to kill everything around me. Man, me, I'm I'm already like that, bro. So, I'm already like that. I don't know how, you, but you know, that's a learning experience. You know, uh, I've been told that before, that your sons, your sons give you patience, but your daughters give you more patience, because you learn, you 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 learn that you can't be as straightforward. You got to do things with 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 delicacy. Yeah, you have to you, do it. The same you know, way. you know. Yeah. So uh, that's that's sort of one of those uh, aspects of training, and and actually natural. Man development, you know, that's an aspect of a man developing naturally. When you acquire children, you get into a whole nother stage. At least that's what's told to me because I ain't got no babies. You know what I'm saying? And uh, your time is coming near. I'm afraid I have a tribe if I do. Yeah, bro. I, yeah, I, I tossed the bones, asked the ancestors what's next for you here recently, bro. They <laughs> said they said by the end of 2020, you're going to have one on the way, bro. So con congratulations early on that. Papa Aki. You coming, bro? Yeah, I had, I had, I had triplets and had to have, have, have a set of triplets and three cigarettes in your mouth at the same time. My friend had triplets in North Carolina. Literally, first dude I ever met from the hood had triplets. You come to the hospital, he got three cigarettes in his mouth. That's like, what you got three cigarettes in your mouth? I got three babies, bro. Man. Three, one time. You know what I'm saying? I, I gave his sister some. I gave I gave his uh his wife so much. You know, kudos. I'm like, you know, you a G for that. <laughs> so you a G for that. I said, bro, you better never. You better never leave her. She didn't gave you three of them at once. She didn't already put in her mm -hmm. work. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Her stripes is iron to the fullest. I say. You know, that's 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 black love and black families, and and that's what we got to get back to. So I leave on that note. Facts. We're gonna leave it on that. Facts. Peace. Peace.